Hey team of Eternal Optimists, it's Matt Drinkon here. And before we launch into today's epic conversation, I've got a big announcement. Drum roll, please. My brand new book is coming out on March 8th. And perhaps even better news, you can get it for only 99 cents on Amazon that day. We don't run ads on the show. And if you ever want to give back and support the Eternal Optimist community, go to Amazon on March 8th and get the Kindle version for only 99 cents. Just search for the book title, The Eternal Optimist. It's never too late. And you can download it directly to your device. Now, let's get to the show. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my distinct pleasure as the host of the Eternal Optimist podcast, Matt Drinkon, to bring to you today, world famous speaker, Hall of Fame speaker, the National Speaker Association president of the past, Mr. Jim Cathcart, who has authored 25 books, someone that I already look up to. We've already had a really engaging conversation. So Jim, welcome to the show today, my friend. Thank you, Matt. Wow, this is exciting. And I love the name of your show is The Eternal Optimist. Because one of the things that I do in a couple of my presentations is I'll pose the question, I'll say to an audience, there are optimists, there are pessimists, and there are, and they say, realists. And I say, yep, an optimist is someone who looks at a situation and they see the obstacles and they say, somehow, somewhere with somebody's help, there is a way. The pessimist looks at the same situation and says, no, there isn't. Look at all these obstacles. And the realist says, he's right, and I can prove it. In other words, a realist is a pessimist who won't admit it. <laughs> Fair. Everybody's got to be realistic, whether they're optimistic, pessimistic, or otherwise, right? Realism is just yes. seeing the facts. But how you approach it depends on your mindset. Totally agree. And to build on what you've shared, my definition, if, if we're looking at optimism and realism, Imagine that there's an intersection of optimism. Optimism is seeing things from a positive slant. Not all Pollyanna and unicorns and rainbows, no. but seeing that genuinely there can be an advantage, there can be a learning lesson, there could be something we could take from this that can help us or help us to serve others. Our suffering can serve others or our positive experience can serve others. Either way, something I can take from it to serve others. Realism, my definition of realism, is the facts. What happens when everyone starts to see things from the perspective of, yeah, this may be hard stuff happening right now, and it can be for the best. I simply need to figure out how. And that would be the definition of optimism and realism meeting in the middle is that in reality, when everyone thinks that there's a positive that can come from this, imagine what's going to happen in the world if everyone would see this rather than everyone looks to the negative first. It, It could be a transformation for the entire world. And that's my mission is to help that come to fruition. Yeah. So I'm glad you started that way. And here's another way to look at it. An optimist is seeking solutions. Mm. A pessimist mm-hmm. is seeing limitations. Mm. And those that say, well, I'm not an optimist. I'm a, not a pessimist. I'm a realist. It can't be done. They're just assuming those limitations are permanent. And that's never been the case in the history of existence. It's never been the case that limitations are permanent. Every limitation, even losing a limb, is a limitation that is not absolute. Mm. It's gone. I'll never be able to do that again. No. With a prosthesis, you can do that again. Seeking versus seeing. Everybody sees the limits, 
But the pessimist says, oh, man, batten down the hatches. There's a recession coming. Everybody stop spending and stop earning and stop going out in public. Let's hide behind this rock. And the optimist says, there's a recession coming. You know what? People are going to be seeking new ideas and new solutions and new help. People are going to be more accessible because they'll be answering their own phone. Some people will be laid off and maybe I can put them to good use. They're going to be optimistic from an optimistic point of view. They're going to be opportunities abundant. Mm. So I'll be proactive when the threats are bigger. I love the way you think. I'm curious. I want to put this to the test, the practical scenario. So let's go back in time four years. It's COVID starts to happen. And I I had a couple of clients, literally a couple of clients passed away of COVID in the first couple of months of that happening. I had a mother-in-law that went to the ventilator. She was there for multiple days. And that was a hard few days for us. And yeah. she ended up making it, thank God. So there was some real hard stuff going on at that time. But also there may have been some positive stuff. It just depends on the lens. I'm curious, when all that challenging stuff was happening in your lens, what were you thinking? How were you responding, Jim? Well, I had just completed, although I didn't know it was complete at the time, five years of lecture tours in China. I was brought to Shanghai for a speech to several thousand people through a interpreter. And the guy who brought me over, Dr. David Chu, he said, I want to be your exclusive agent in China. I will keep you busy. I'll bring you four times a year minimum. I'll pay you big fees and fly you first class and all that. And sure enough, he did. So I ended up going to 23 major cities in China, speaking to tens of thousands of people. Every audience was over a thousand, some of them multiple thousands. And I would speak for up to six hours a day through an interpreter. I'm over there, the Wuhan, that's the seat of the virus. I'm everywhere except Wuhan. And I'm talking with and traveling with all these people just before that news was announced to the world. We culminated wow. with a big seminar in Penang, Malaysia in December of 2019. And then I came home and found that some of the people I'd been with in Malaysia had COVID and that COVID was now attacking my world. And I could no longer go back to China. For that matter, I couldn't even move around the United States much because the world shut down. And I thought, okay, I'm a professional speaker who's done 3,500 convention speeches. I've been for 40 plus years flying all over the world, addressing enormous and small meetings. And that's no longer possible. Oops. What yeah. can I do? What do I have that the world can benefit from? Well, I can teach people how to live a more meaningful and satisfying life. And I can teach people problem solving, ground level, local leadership, problem solving, how to identify, define a problem resolve the problem, gather resources okay. when you don't have money or power. And so I started doing that through Zoom, of course, and I became a more of a mentor than a speaker. And so I put the heaviest weight into development of my going pro experts academy mentorship. And I took on a number of clients doing weekly Zoom calls and then getting together later when restrictions eased, getting together once every quarter for a mastermind event. And then toward the, it was in the beginning, June of 2020, okay. I moved. 
from California to Austin, Texas. I had been in California 37 years. I love California. But the way they were running California, it was no longer legal to be alive if you were human. Basically, they said, you're having Thanksgiving dinner at your house. Everybody has to wear masks indoors in your home. You can't go to the grocery store. You can't this, you can't that. And my wife said, we need to leave. And I said, you know, you're right. And so we started shopping and we found what we were looking for in Austin. And we love being here, been here ever since. And so June of 2020, we moved. I just got a certificate the other day. It's on my wall right over there. That certificate says from the State House of Representatives of Texas, it says, we declare you a true Texan. Texas is proud of you. I have been systematically doing everything a Texan would or had done to experience everything this state has. And I posted an 11-page list of all those things on Facebook. And a friend of mine took it to a state representative and said, we ought to do something. And the representative said, let's give him a flag that flew over the state capitol and declare him from the House of Representatives, a true Texan. <laughs> wow. Oh, my gosh. Oh, and what did I get for Christmas? Let's see. This. Oh, the hat. Nice. Oh, you got to check this on YouTube, everyone. This is a super cool hat. Three of those now. Nice. And four pair of boots. And, of course, a big old shiny buckle. So I even dress like a Texan. And people are saying in their minds right now, yeah, he's all hat and no cattle. True. I don't own cattle, but my friends do. And I hang out with them on their ranches and at rodeos and things like that every once in a while. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things I love about you the most so far, Jim, is just the way that you are so gracefully just smoothly moving through these life things. I didn't sense any hint of animosity or disgust towards California. It was simply this happened. And then you just start to talk about the beauty of Texas. I love that you tend to focus on moving forward the positive rather than you know blame you. or yeah. cast doubt on negative things. So that's a tiny thing that Absolutely. I really appreciate about your communication. And I'm uh, happy to report that on Saturday of this week, two days from now, I'm going back to China. Whoa. Oh, wow. I'll be lecturing in China for a week. Wow. I Wow, this is super cool. So it's been four years. You're going back to China. Uh, you're in Austin. And by the way, Austin is beautiful. I was there recently. And I think 22 of my friends have moved to Austin since COVID started. Fantastic. We have our next Mastermind event. I'm a part of a group called the Front Row Dads, family and men with businesses. And our headquarters mm-hmm. is there in Austin. I may take you up on that. And we may have a party at one of my friends' ranches. Super cool. Now, now you're talking. Jim, so... Here you are. This is the before and after. This is the after. We're looking at Jim right now, the after. He's so many accolades, so much success in 3,500 public speeches over the course of the year and conventions. And so you've accomplished a lot. Paid speeches. Paid. That's the key. 3,500 paid engagements for conventions and company meetings all over the world. I've been literally around the world on lecture tours multiple times. I've spoken in all 50 U.S. states, every province of Canada except the Yukon, although I've been to Alaska uh, three or four times. Uh, I've been to South America, Australia 10 times. I've been virtually everywhere and all of it on the client's nickel. 
So I was paid to do all that. My dreams came true without me having to save up to make the dreams come true. I actually was able to generate clients said, hey, come on, bring your wife to the French Riviera. And we did. And then come on, Mm. bring your wife. Let's do a motorcycle tour through the Alps for 3,000 miles. Okay, we did. And then we turned around and did that again and so on and so forth. It's just been, thank you, Lord. I've been so blessed. Fantastic. Can you take us back in time to a place when (laughs) you were not a household name? You didn't have 25 books. You didn't have spoken the 3,500 page speeches. And take us back sometime to the beginning. And if you could share one story when things were very challenging, before you made the breakthroughs, somewhere on the journey, on the rise, what is a story that comes to mind of a hard time? I grew up in Little Rock, Arkansas. My dad was a telephone repairman. Mom was a homemaker, and my invalid grandfather was in the front bedroom. He had been disabled by a stroke, never spoke or moved again for the last seven years of his life. And my little sister and I considered that was normal. And my grandmother lived with us, but she needed care as well. So mom had her hands full, and dad was on the road as a telephone lineman much of my youth. And then later, he was home a lot more as a repairman. But we never had money, and we didn't have any connections with anyone who had money. And so I didn't have models, accessible models, of what success looks like. So nobody we knew had done really well. So I went to college a couple of years, dropped out, did a number of different jobs, went back to college part-time, got married, had a new baby, was selling cars because I had failed at selling mutual funds and life insurance. And when I say failed, I tried it for a couple of years and I'd never made enough to keep from going further in debt. So I quit that and I took a job selling cars and then got fired. Only time in my life. I've had, by the way, before I got into this business, 40, four zero jobs. If you count everything I ever did for pay, like mowing lawns and working in a bowling alley and working at a drive-in movie and all these things of previous eras and driving a delivery truck and working in a warehouse and unloading trucks and boxcars and things like that. I've done all those things. And I was in the army as a medic and a hospital corpsman. And then I went to OCS, became an infantry training officer never served in combat, but I served my six years in the National Guard and Army Reserve, came out as a lieutenant. So here I am, newly married, baby at home, working as a government clerk because I was fired for not selling enough cars. They fired the lowest guy in sales every month. In the first month, I sold a couple of cars. In the second month, I didn't. And so Lester Campbell called me in 1972 And he said, Jim, terminations are seldom pleasant. I said, are you firing me? He said, yeah, we always fire the last guy. I said, well, why don't you just teach me to sell better? He said, no, that's not how we work. We hire well. I said, Lester, no, you don't. (laughs) Because if you hired well, you wouldn't be firing your last guy every month. And uh, he said, well, I got to let you go. And I said, okay. So I took a job playing guitar and singing in nightclubs, beer joints and nightclubs, lounge lizard, and went job hunting. Worked in a friend's grocery store, sacking groceries while I was doing that. And uh, finally got a job at the Urban Renewal Agency of the Little Rock Housing Authority. And I was an assistant to a man who didn't need one. 
His name was Bob Moore, and he wasn't busy, and I was his helper. So I'm making $525 a month for basically doing nothing. And I sit there and I read books on urban renewal, and that doesn't appeal to me. I read the Bible from cover to cover at work in three months. I got a college course catalog and circled all the things I wanted to learn, thought I'd go back to college. Didn't do that. You know, I went back for a couple of courses. That was it. So I still don't have a college degree. I'm 77 years old now. Still don't have a college degree earned. However, last year, High Point University in North Carolina bestowed on me an honorary business degree for the body of work that I've achieved over the years. So I have a degree and I've written college textbooks that are used around the country. And I am a college professor. I teach in the executive MBA program at California Lutheran University School of Management. And I've been hired by Pepperdine University to train their faculty and to speak to some of their classes. I've spoken. I've done lots of college work as a professor, but I don't have an earned even a bachelor's degree. (laughs) And I've written 25 books that have sold all over the world. Oh my gosh, how did you go from being this likable loser that's working at the housing authority who incidentally was 50 pounds overweight and smoked two packs a day back then and had never set a goal in his life, never once written a goal in my entire life. In 1972, I'm sitting there and I hear the radio in the next room and it's a program that today would probably be a podcast, but back then it was a little five minute radio clip from Earl Nightingale, the Dean of Personal Motivation. And he said, if you will spend one hour extra every day studying your chosen field, in five years or less, you'll be a national expert in that field. And I thought, I could do that. An hour a day, five days a week, 50 weeks a year, five years, that's 1,250 hours on one subject. Yeah, if that subject was narrow enough, I could actually be a leading expert. I don't want to be an expert on urban renewal, but I've got the better part of eight hours a day to study. So, And it occurred to me after a few weeks of thought, I want to do what he does. I want to be like the guy on the radio. So I became a fanatical student of personal development. I read all the classic books, Think and Grow Rich, Power Positive Thinking, How to Win Friends and Influence People, all the books of the day. Then I was able to become a trainer doing volunteer training in a civic club, the JCs, Junior Chamber of Commerce. And I was teaching group discussion courses on goal setting and personal development and interpersonal communication and things like that, problem solving, project planning. But I would just read the manual in the morning and then teach a class in the evening. It wasn't like I was getting paid for that or really knew what I was talking about. But in two years after work on weekends and on holidays for no pay in two years, I did 400 of those meetings. Let that sink in for a moment. After working on weekends for no pay in a two-year period, I conducted 400 meetings for JC's young adults. And by the hundredth meeting or so, I knew what I was talking about. By the second hundred, I was getting pretty good. And by the time I reached three or 400, I was the most popular guy in the state doing those kind of things. And so I was getting requests all the time. 
And then finally, one day I got paid $10 for gas. And I only had to drive 130 miles one way to get it. And I did a program in El Dorado, Arkansas, which would in any other state would be pronounced El Dorado. And I was able a few months later to leave my job at the housing authority where I'd been progressing up the ranks and getting promotions and raises because my new skills showed up on the job as well. And I became a full-time trainer teaching seminars. And the U.S. Junior Chamber of Commerce was headquartered in Tulsa, Oklahoma at the time. And they had 356,000 members in the nation. Today, they're a shadow of what they used to be. But back then, they were humongous. And I was the national director, what they call me, senior program manager in charge of individual development programs, which means I was the guy in charge of leadership training for a third of a million people. Wow. I was a national expert. I was literally the national expert out of 356,000 members on the subject of personal development. And all that time with the JCs, I had been listening to audio cassettes in my car recorded by Earl Nightingale. Yes, sir. The new lead to field, baby. I love those. Love those. (laughs) It's right up there on my shelf right now. I've got all those old tapes. And I've spent easily a thousand hours, maybe more, listening to those. And I then got a job part-time selling Earl Nightingale's tapes. Wow. So I heard him on the radio in 1972. In 1974, I started selling his tapes door to businesses in Little Rock. In 75, I went to work for the USJC's national headquarters. In 1984, I had left the JCs, started my own speaking business, and moved to California. And I was sitting in my office in La Jolla, California, with my business partner, Dr. Tony Alessandro, a college professor. And phone rang. It was Earl Nightingale calling me. What? And I said, In other words, I was speechless. He said, I I read an article you wrote, and I think it would make a good audio training program. And I said, it is already one. And he said, we publish those. I said, believe me, sir, I really understand. You know, and then I told him my background with him. And he said, that's wonderful. Send me your cassettes and let me see if, if we can publish them. And they did. And in 1984 and 85, Earl Nightingale's company, sold three and a half million dollars worth of my audio program. In 74, I was selling his, and in 84, he was selling mine. What a story. And in 72, you were doing unpaid speaking gigs, 400 of them in two years on the nights and weekends. I lost those 52 excess pounds, and I quit smoking on January 25th, 1974, but who's counting? (laughs) Man, wow, that's 50 years of non-smoking in two weeks from now. Wow, and what a story. That's right, I got an anniversary coming up. Wow, I didn't think of that. I should do something. And I've never never smoked smoked another cigarette, never smoked a joint, never smoked a cigar or a pipe or anything after that. And never will. Absolutely, good, good. So that leads me to the next question, and I'll, we'll come back to the story okay. in a minute. But yes, you have so much energy and so much vitality, and you said you're 77, and I don't know, maybe yeah. one other person your age who has this much life. How do you stay so young? How do you intentionally do what you're doing? Just show up as you, Jim, because I feel it, and I know our audience feels it. 
How do you do it? First off, I've stayed physically fit for the 18 years I lived in Thousand Oaks, California. Three days a week at sunrise, I would meet with friends of mine for a six-mile round-trip mountain trail run. And three days a week at sunrise for 18 years will profoundly impact your fitness. And it was easy for me to stay slender. But when I was in La Jolla, San Diego, I lived there for 20 years. And during that time, it was mostly jogging, running on the beach or in the neighborhoods or that kind of workout. But when I got to Thousand Oaks and I was seven years old, I think, when I started the hiking, and we called our group the Heartbreak Hiking Fools because our signature trail was a six-mile trail up a killer hill we called Heartbreak. And we would do that one at least once a month. But three days a week, we're out at sunrise in the dark, standing at the trailhead and at exactly either 6.30 in the the months where the long days and 7 o'clock on the short days, we would exactly that second start the hike. And we got two hiking poles and we're all going for a personal best. And it's a combination of trudging up the hills and then running the flats and the downhills. And I got faster and faster. And my personal best was at age 62. I'd been a runner back in Tulsa, Oklahoma in my 30s. And I was running five miles easy several times a week and was slender and fit and all that in my 30s. But the most fit I've ever been in my life was at age 62. And on January 9th, which is coming up, 2009, I was running a mountain trail and I came over a crest and I'm blazing down the other side. And it's a long winding trail down the other side. And I'm going boom, just bounding steps and just whizzing past the other hikers. And I get to two guys just before the creek at the bottom of the hill and I go... And they go, slow down. I said, no. And I keep going and I jump across the creek, hopping on stones. And I start up the other hill and I get dizzy. And so I stopped and I stayed dizzy and I fainted. And so the other hikers soon came up to me and I woke up because when you faint, it's because the blood leaves your head, your blood pressure drops. And so when you fall flat, you woke up quickly. And I looked around and I said, wow. Well, that was unfortunate. And I said, but I can still make a good time. So I got up and they said, no, one of them was an orthopedic surgeon. He said, go back to the house. Don't do that today. I'll see you at coffee. I said, okay. So I met him at coffee later and he said, you need to go get checked out. So after coffee, I went to the ER and checked in and the doctor checked me and said, hey, you're in really good shape. I said, that's not why I came here. You've got an electrical problem in your heart. And I said, what do I need to do to fix it? He said, you can't. I said, what do you mean? He said, it's a left bundle branch block. I said, I've got a heart blockage. He said, no, you've got an electrical blockage. Your heart's fine and your body fitness is great, but you have an electrical problem that science doesn't know how to correct. So we can't fix it, but we have a solution. I said, okay, what's the solution? He said, a pacemaker. I said, get away from me. I'm not ready to be an old man. And he said, no, no, you can run marathons and compete in the Olympics with a pacemaker. I said, really? He said, yeah. So I put it off for 10 months, but I kept getting that dizzy feeling again, never passed out again, but I kept feeling like it was coming back. So I was cutting back on my exertion. And so 10 months later, I realized that this is going to end up with me as a couch potato. 
So I said, do it. And they put it in. And I went to the hospital and they put in a pacemaker. And what was happening is the lower part of my heart would beat irregularly. The upper part would beat just fine. So it's like the upper part would beat and the lower part would say, was that one? Should I beat now? And of course, that's when I'd get dizzy. And so they put the pacemaker in, problem went away. And the next day after being in the hospital getting a pacemaker, I went home, showered, put on a tuxedo, and emceed a banquet for 500 people until 10 p.m. It didn't take much physical exertion, so I did that. Got up the next morning, and I felt funny, and I called the doctor, and they said, come back, and they checked me out, and they said, oops, the leads in your heart are loose. They didn't hook in like they're supposed to, so we got to go back in. Oh, so man. I go back into the ER. They prepped me, and a day later, I go home and never had another problem since. Wow. And that was 2009. I've had it wow. in place since, but that was a day procedure in uh, 2009. So with all of this, even with that, I was able to get back on the running trails. Now, I hadn't been as disciplined about my fitness here in Austin, but I still I can do 50 push-ups nonstop and maybe more. For five years, I made a commitment to myself to do 100 push-ups a day and didn't miss a day for five years. Wow. And when I was in China, they boasted about that. And a 35-year-old guy challenged me to a push-up contest. And we got on stage in front of 2,000 people and did push-ups. And he pooped out around 28. And I kept going to 100. And so, yeah, he's 35. And so he said, I challenge you. Actually, it was his wife said, you've humiliated my husband. And I challenge you when you come back in the fall to a push-up contest for $10,000 bet. 10000 to okay. the winner. First, first one to do 100 nonstop wins 10000 US dollars. And I said, I can't take that bet. And my agent said, I can. And so <laughs> when I came back, the other guy, the 35-year-old, he had hired a personal trainer and gone into intense bodybuilding. So when I came back in October, I didn't know if the bet was still on or not because nobody had told me it's really official. Otherwise, I would have trained some too. But I was still doing my 100 a day. So I get back and I'm in the green room. I'm going to go out and speak on 35-year-old's program. 35-year-old is basically a Chinese version of Tony Robbins. And his name's Ji, Jiang Jing. JJJ, we call him. And Jiang Jing Ji, he's out there on stage working the crowd And word comes back to me in the green room where I'm sitting in my suit and tie. It's on. (laughs) Now? Thanks. Okay. So I go out on stage and there he is. And he's real. I mean, he's buff from all the workouts. And he's strutting around the stage and he greets me with a big smile and a handshake. And then through my translator, I'm getting all this. He said, we're going to have the contest and the winner gets the $10,000. And so I agreed with him. We would face this way so that the audience could see us do the push-ups. And they put three people on each of us to count so that we would be sure to get the count accurate. So music, lights, all that. The audience is rookie, rookie. You know, it's that kind of an audience. They're all thrilled and excited and chanting. And boom, we start pumping them out. And we get to around 40 and he stops. And we get to around 86 and I stop. And I realized when I stopped at 86, because that was the most I'd ever done nonstop in my life, I'm back on my knees and I'm going, 
And I look at him and he stopped again. And I said, hey, I could still win this thing. So I get down and crank out another 16 just for extra measure. And I win. Nice. And so they've got me on stage. They're holding my hand up and everybody's thrilled and he's gracious about it. And we shake hands and I say, come here, JJ. So I put my arm around his shoulder and I've got the microphone and translator for him, translator for me. And I said, I owe you a big apology. And he's looking at me like, why? And I said, I had you at a disadvantage. I said, you're 35 years old. He said, yeah. I said, I've been 35. Ah. Oh, man. You got him. Uh, but he was good natured about it, even though I was being sarcastic. What did his wife say at that, at that time? And we, we, donated, we donated the 10000 to a school. Oh, yeah. nice. Nice. Yeah, wow. It, it's so easy to talk to you. You make it so easy to be a. I'm just over here flowing with your energy. It's so cool. And we haven't talked about yet your podcast or your Going Pro mentorship program. Yeah. I'd love to talk about those for a little bit. Can you give us a little bit of insight? Sure. Into I realized at the beginning of COVID that my world had changed. I couldn't go out as a speaker. So I had to do something that would still utilize my skills because I didn't need to go work at a restaurant because even the restaurants weren't open. And if they had been, I'd have been working for just above minimum wage anyway. So what could I do? I could do what I'd always done, and that is help other people solve problems and develop skills to advance in their own world. So I did that. And I started collaborating with people on books. And Lisa Patrick out of Canada and I co-authored a book called Intelligent Curiosity. And I co-authored another book with one of my best clients, Dennis Madden of Automatic Transmission Rebuilders Association. And I had been writing articles for Gears Magazine for a long time. And we co-authored a book called High Rev for Small okay. Business indicating high revenue as well as high revolution per minute. And so that was cool. And then I started online mentorship using Zoom calls. And then after COVID kind of subsided, I was able to turn that into a more expanded version that I call the Experts Academy. I train okay. people to become professional experts. Now, what's a professional expert at what? In every field, you have technical experts. Silo-specific, industry-specific experts, but that doesn't mean they would be an expert if they change fields. My book that I published in 2023, Mentor Minutes, is how okay. to reach the top 1% of any field by focusing on the skills of becoming a professional expert. That means an expert in your ability to communicate with people who are not like you your ability to deliver a presentation confidently and powerfully, your ability to lead meetings so that other people will want to come to your meetings and will want to participate, the ability to identify problems and do effective decision-making. I was privileged to collaborate with Spencer Johnson years ago, co-author of The One Minute Manager with Ken Blanchard. He also authored a book that called who Moved My Cheese, that became a huge international bestseller. And Spencer wrote a book on decision-making called Yes or No, The Guide to Better Decisions, based coincidentally on a hiking metaphor. Spencer asked me to collaborate with him on that book. So I incorporated that into my training 
my mentorship for the Experts Academy. How do you do decision-making well? And how do you solve problems? What kind of problem is it? Is it a situational problem, personal problem, interpersonal problem, technical problem, systemic problem? Each one would require a different approach in order to solve it. And then what's your primary purpose? What's the relationship of this to your other priorities? What budget sequence, da, 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 all that. I am teaching all of that through the Experts Academy so that anybody, regardless of field, can develop a set of skills that allow them to get into a whole new field of endeavor and quickly rise to the leadership level and ultimately the top 1% if they choose to. Let's take an example, okay? Let's say that you take up music and you decide, I'm going to be a leading expert in the field of music. First off, pick a lane. Are you going to have a music store and sell instruments? Are you going to play saxophone? Are you going to write music? Are you going to publish music? Are you going to do music lessons? Are you going to be a rock star, a performer? Are you going to be a soloist or a band? Are you going to be a singer-songwriter? Are you going to sing other people's work? Are you going to produce big arena events and do that? Are you going to be a DJ? Oh, my gosh, right? When you choose Mm -hmm. to focus on one thing for one extra hour a day, That one thing needs to be narrow, not music, but acoustic guitar performance or songwriting or whatever it happens to be, right? And so that way you know that extra hour a day focused on that is going to cause you to rapidly go from being a novice to being competent, where you can do it, but you're not great at it, to being excellent, which means you can not only do it, but you can do it so well, others occasionally say, wow, Matt, that that was good, right? Mm-hmm. Or are you going to go mm-hmm. to the next level from excellent to expert and from expert to leading authority in that field or leading authority to celebrity or celebrity to star like a Taylor Swift? So there are Got lots it. of people who are as cute as Taylor Swift, who are good songwriters like Taylor Swift, who are good performers like Taylor Swift. There are lots of people who have some of the elements she has, but have not made the commitment to be the best of the best that ever existed, like she has. Even the people that care a lot for their audience, like she cares for hers. Taylor Swift recently released the Eras tour of the movie and Uh the tour, of course. That movie cost her approximately $20 million to make. When it was announced for pre-sale, pre-subscription, buy your tickets now, it was not in theaters. The day it was announced, it sold $38 million worth in the first 15 minutes. Wow. How high can a person go in their field if they have all the skills? See, the nice thing about Taylor is she's a good person. She's likable. She's a great communicator. She's fun. She can take the spotlight off of her and highlight other people. She and whoever on her team is essential to it have decided they're going to do everything as best as it has ever been done. You and I don't have to aspire to those levels. Heck, we could be a local celebrity in our niche as the best plumber in town, or the best at installing tankless water heaters in our four-state area the best at landscape design. Pick a lane, whatever your field, sure, get your expertise in that, but consider this. If you're a professional expert, you could hire the industry expertise. I could say, 
Matt, you and I are going to go into the business of glass door installations. Okay. And neither neither of us is going to know anything about it or have any skills for it. Within one year, you and I could be among the leaders in that industry because we could hire the glass door expertise. We would bring the leadership, problem-solving, strategy, business-building expertise, the communication expertise, the networking expertise, and we could grow that business without ever knowing how to do it. That's what I, I teach totally people agree. to do today. Awesome. Yeah. And I sign people up on a one-month, a three-month, or an all-year basis. If they want to be certified as a professional expert, then that's a year-long thing. But if they just want some strategic talent at their elbow for a month or three months, then they sign up for my Going Pro. And they just go to cathcart.com slash going pro. Or matter of fact, let me make an offer to our viewers. I, my latest book is called What to Do When You're the Speaker. And it's not about how to give a speech. It's how to deal with all the things speakers have to deal with. 54 lessons on what to do when everything else goes wrong. And it's called What to Do When You're the Speaker. It's free. Go to free dot cathcart my last name dot com and you can download wow. it wow. free dot cathcart dot com to download what to do when you're a speaker yep. for advice on the 54 different things that you might be able to do be prepared for that could go wrong awesome what a, what a great <laughs> offer thank you thank you for sharing with, with, with everyone and pouring into us we appreciate you is there anywhere else we can follow you or is cathcart.com slash going pro. That's the number one place to go. Well, the number one place would be jimcathcart.com, which is my digital business card. And the cool thing about that, it was developed for me by a man named Ken Walls in the North Texas area. But check this out. This is what you see when you go to it. So it starts there and then it's got saved to my phone. It's got send me a note. It's got all my social media links across there. The video of my 2.7 2.7 million views TED Talk. It's got a bio says, isn't Jim wonderful? Here's send me a message and get a free ebook. Here's go to Amazon and see all my books. Check out the Going Pro Experts Academy. Schedule a call with me. That's the coolest thing I ever saw. I love that. It's a website in one little click. Wow. This has been fantastic. Jim, I mean, th- you put on a master class how to be likable. It's so easy to talk to you. The energy is just so flowing today and we appreciate your offer to our listeners. So genuinely, thank you. This has been amazing to no, be with you today. It's great. Seriously, you made it easy for me because you're so easy to like and you're so gracious in giving me the spotlight like you have. I just want to send to Lily and Lucy and Caroline my best wishes for a prosperous 2024. Well, thank you. That is near and dear to my heart. Those are my girls. So much appreciated, Jim. And I will make sure that they hear the episode. And speaking of hearing it, you've mentioned Taylor Swift today. I'm curious, as we move to wrap up, I'm curious, if you're a music guy, what might be your favorite genre or musician or song? Is there just what fills your bucket when it comes to music? My wife and I perform occasionally under the name Resume the Boom. Resume the boom. If you want to see my music website, go to the following three words, guitarmusiclive.com. Guitarmusiclive.com. And my album is there and it's got videos and my song list of two or 300 songs and all that. But it's the reason I chose Resume the Boom 
is that when we perform in clubs or at special events, we're doing the music of the baby boom era. So that's from the mid 50s through the mid 70s. And it's all the people you grew up on. Everybody Uh from Neil Diamond to Elvis to the Beatles to John Denver to Mamas and Papas, the Eagles, on and on. Awesome. Another gift that Jim has gifted us with today, guitarmusiclive.com, to listen to Resume the Boom, baby. Love it. Love it. Uh Uh-oh. He's grabbing something from, here we go. I wrote a song, and I wrote it to be our opener when we're performing. So I took the old tune, shaboom, shaboom, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da, shaboom, shaboom, you know, life could be a dream. Oh, yeah. Resume the boom. It's time to call the roll again. Resume the boom. I'll rock and roll to the very end. Resume the boom. The boom. We still have a drink, sweetheart. Restart. Resume the boom. Rolling old takes no effort. It's really easy to swim downstream. But you were put here to truly make a difference. It all resumes when you begin to dream. So resume the And it goes on like that. Oh, man, that was fantastic. Little little freestyle there from Mr. Jim Cathcart. Uh, <laughs> fantastic. <laughs> Well, Jim, you've written 25 books and you've read all the classics. I'm curious if someone's hearing this today and they're inspired, what might be the first book that they should pick up from your library? Uh, we'll start with that. What's the first book they might pick up from the Jim okay. Cathcart library? Is, it download that free one, which is okay. what to do when you're the speaker. Okay. And then the second one to get, that's here's what to do when you're the speaker. Okay. And the second one to get is this one, Mentor Minutes. So Mentor Minutes is basically how to become a professional expert and reach the top 1% of any field. And it's 336 one-minute lessons. I wrote it originally as a life lessons guide for my grandkids and then revised it over time. But check this out. Every single one in here is one minute long. How do I know that? Because I wrote it originally as a radio show, and it had to be exactly one minute long and it's just like meaning and purpose aren't found in things they're found in you sustain good relationships with customers master the recovery from problems solve or give yourself away man so many of these just they've got simple titles is it too late to start and i talk about People like Norman Vincent Peale, who's best known for The Power of Positive Thinking, he Mm -hmm. wrote it at age 53. Henry Ford built his first car at age 45. Colonel Sanders, Kentucky Fried Chicken, copyrighted his recipe at age 65 and went on the road selling the rights to cook his recipe. So it's never too late. Fantastic. And I'm just getting started. I haven't hit my stride yet, but I got some big home runs coming. Heck yeah. And I love that. My definition of it, again, that is that's eternal optimism is that we're, we're always living to serve and keep going. It's Zig Ziglar said to you back in the day. Don't that's stop. right. We, yeah, because he was talking to me and Mark Victor Hansen of Chicken Soup and Keith DeGreen, investment advisor now. But back then mm-hmm. we were just young adults entering the business of motivation and training. And he said, what are you guys doing? Because I asked him, how do we be like you? And he said, what are you doing now? And we told him and he said, don't stop. Love that. 
Fantastic. Jim, we're going we're gonna to wrap this thing up and put a bow on this thing and, and finish our discussion for today. It's been a real honor and a pleasure. We certainly salute you and we honor you and appreciate you for Thank being you. here. To wrap up, I would like to give you the last word and let's just keep it to a couple of minutes because I know speakers can, can go forever. <laughs> here, here's the last word, okay? I believe life exists throughout the cosmos and that it needs outlets. Life needs a plant, puppy, a person to grow through. Life expresses itself through outlets. You and I are outlets for life. The life force exists in us and it expressed through us. When we deny our skills, when we diminish our gifts and discount the value of them, we don't express or develop our skills. So we become a smaller and smaller door for life to express itself through. And we end up passing away without ever having fully expressed our song, fully shown our skills or our talents. Your talents, your natural talents, the ones that come fairly easily to you, are your best way to serve the world. And if you don't develop your talents, you deny the rest of us the gifts you could have contributed. I don't believe anybody should try to become something they're not. So if you're trying something and it's just always hard and never comes easier, then that's the wrong path for you. Find a new path, but figure out what kind of seed, what kind of acorn is in you and become the oak that you're capable of. Live your life fully because the purpose of life is living, really living, fully living, mentally, physically, family, social, spiritually, financially, emotionally. Be everything you can be and start where you are right now by just doing a little bit more every day in the mentor minutes. Just read one. Open the book once a day. You don't even have to read it. You probably will. But just open the book once a day. Should I work through all 330? Yeah, but you don't have to worry about it. Just find one and read it for one minute. And Mm. if you can't get yourself to do that, just open the book. If you want to be a runner, don't worry about running. Put on your running shoes. That's not going to do anything. Okay, put on your running shoes and walk outdoors. What am I going to do then? I don't care. But you might. And most people, when they're out there, will either run to the corner and back or go for a longer run or do something. So put on your running shoes. Got to start somewhere, right? So that's the point. Live your life as fully as you can live it, starting little by little and growing over time.